Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. Today is July 3rd, 2019, and it is the eve of July 4th, and I can say that I'm <laughs> devastated that I'm not going to be in D.C., um, but I'll just take it as a, hey, it wasn't meant to be. There's a reason, and I'm going to smile about it, even though I am livid. Okay, so today is a very interesting day. Uh, I was fortunate enough uh, late, late, late last night, our time, to speak to a contact that I have that put me in contact with the spokesperson for the Libyan National Army. Guys, I had a one-hour conversation asking questions to the spokespeople. I have so much to talk about. Uh, I'm actually going to put it in writing because what I noticed is, is there is a mainstream media blackout. And here's the other thing. There are two stories being told. It is incredible. And on one of the stories, the one-sided story, it's Democrat driven. So that tells you everything you need to know. And see, because I saw that it was Democrat driven, I asked a question. I said, well, why would the Democrats of the United States of America be so invested? Oh, and guys, you will not believe names that came up. They're covering up for, yep, you guessed it, Hillary Clinton and John Brennan. We're talking Benghazi. There is so much to talk about today. And I have pictures. I have um, names. Oh, It's just, I mean, the amount of information that I was able, I was provided was incredible. And more so because they have, you know, been providing this information to other news outlets uh, throughout Europe, Africa, Asia, and even the United States, but they won't report it. And what's funny is, is that there's one person on Twitter that is feeding uh, pictures and narratives uh, to the AP, which also hasn't really been reporting on it either. So we'll get to Libya, we'll get to Benghazi, and we'll get to the war that is actually happening right now. And it's not Iran. So, like I've always said, we need to listen to our leaders to know what's really going on, right? So, I thought that today we can start that with um, listening to our president talk, uh, listening to what he had to say about what is happening, what is going on, how things are going, So that way we have a better grasp of um, what to expect. So that is the idea I had um, that we can go off of that. And for some reason, I just can't seem 
to find my audio clip. I see it. So I want to play it with a little bit of interruption and interjection where he, on the 1st of July, 1st of July, right, coming back from Osaka and pretty much talking about a lot of things, I just want to offer some commentary to kind of set the tone for today. Because yesterday is I uh, demonstrated to you the important thing that we need to focus on is how our nation is trying to be great again and how past presidents have said the same thing. And I'm going to mention, you know, actually, I should actually play that clip because I was shocked to see right conservative voices, including Crenshaw, who were upset with a piece that the New York Times put out, an opinion piece. It is a four-minute video, so let's start with that. Where they were upset, I saw comments like, how dare you, you don't like America, move, and America is great. And it's like, uh, if it was great, President Trump would not have won the elections. So this is the first time I've seen the New York Times put out a very realistic clinical snapshot of our nation, something that I've been talking about for a while, but something that yesterday, as demonstrated, was stated by Eisenhower, JFK, Reagan, and so many others before them, right? And so many others that have been silenced. So take a listen to what the New York Times say and tell me where they are wrong because they are correct, they say in it, the tweet that they put it out in, um, and, he, and they uh, posted this yesterday, right, uh, is the myth of America as the greatest nation on earth is at best outdated and at worst wildly inaccurate. If you look at the data, the U.S. is really just okay. Now, as a superpower, we were a superpower because we did have a rebuilt military during Reagan's time. Because when you beef up, just like Reagan said, no one's going to, you know, bully or come at you, right? Because you got, you know, the force. You've got a military to get back, right? But we don't have that. Well, we didn't have that before President Trump. So what did he do? Rebuild the military. Our economy was bust. Fixing that. Common Core made our kids even stupider. I'm just pointing out a few things. The indoctrination that we have of our children. And, you know, we pay the most for health care. So true. All of these things are true, true, true. And I said it before. Um, our youth are stupid compared to every other nation on the planet. And to think, a nation that is supposed to be super prosperous, paved with gold roads, right? Um, giving the opportunity, you would think that they'd be super intelligent. They're not. Because we don't have an educational system that teaches children. And it hasn't been like that for over 20 years. I mean, my eldest daughter being so great in mathematics and sciences, specifically mathematics, since her undergrad is in mathematics, is because I took the time 
to take it a step further for her. I took the time when she entered the seventh and eighth grade to sit down and tell her, look, this is baby math. Let me show you stereometry. Let me teach you about trigonometry. Let me teach you shortcuts when you do algebra. Let me teach you this because I know it. Not everybody does. These are things that my children should be learning in school, but they're not. They're still doing fractions in the seventh grade and being introduced to number lines. Yet when I pull books that are publicly available from other countries, even, uh, you know, uh, throughout Europe, France, Spain, Italy, Greece, and you pull a seventh grade math book, they're doing polynomial equations, you know, you know, they're into the deep end of algebra slash pre-calculus and our kids are doing fractions. How are we competitive? We're not. See, they dumbed down America because back in the day, you used to know a lot. You used to know a lot more by the seventh grade. Having a high school degree back then was a pretty big deal because you were taught a lot. Now they're not. I mean, I even noticed my daughter who finished high school a year early because she had done all the prerequisites and had all the credits to graduate. I was kind of shocked that she didn't like pretty much do a lot of chemistry. She did though at a special school um, when we were living in Oregon where she was part of like the gifted program. They don't have that in North Dakota, but North Dakota anyway has the largest percentage of kids not being in school. But I digress. They did a little bit of chemistry when she was in the uh, seventh grade. Uh, and it was interesting. I actually volunteered uh, at uh, uh, Portland and Beaverton schools to kind of, you know, teach students for free, right? Where you just go as a guest to kind of dumb things down. Because if you can explain something to someone like their four-year-old, then it sticks with them and it makes things easier, right? So at those gifted schools, they did some, but our regular public schools don't. They just kind of talk about notions, but they don't get into the depth of things. They don't, they just, the equivalent of our 12-year educational system for children in regards to the level that they go for a regular public school. We're not talking magnet. We're not talking, you know, gifted. We're not talking, you know, targeted like arts and sciences or technical high schools, you know, where people can apply in big cities where they have, you know, nerd schools, right? We're talking about in general. We don't have a higher level than that of the average seventh grader across the world. That speaks volumes, and I say it because our level for teachers, and sorry if I offend any teachers out there, but I'm really strong on this. Up until elementary school, you can have elementary education and, you know, kind of teaching kids how to develop if you want. You know, I find that okay. But nowhere in um, nations that rank higher than us like China, like France, like Greece, like Spain, like Italy, like Hungary, like Poland. The teachers in high school or junior high high school are all PhDs. They went to school for that. So you will have a physicist teach physics. 
And that physicist, if they don't have the ability to convey the information, they actually go through some special training on how to teach things. But you don't get the job if you haven't demonstrated that in your college. So it's kind of like an annotation. So I have friends uh, that are overseas in various European nations and uh, two of them in China where they went to school for um, one of them went for uh, literary, you know, like uh, poetry and um, ancient writings and whatever. Now they teach, you know, high school, they teach ancient languages, you know, ancient, um, you know, dramas, tragedies, Anything literary they teach because they got a degree in that. Look at the level of education our high school teachers have. Just look at it. They all have a degree in education. They all have a degree in education, not a degree in mathematics. They have a degree in education where they took like a year of math and they go buy some handouts and they teach our kids. Then we wonder why they're stupid. Just saying. Having a teaching degree means absolutely nothing. Having a degree, let's say an undergraduate degree in like physics and then getting a master's in teaching so you understand how to convey information. I get it. Totally qualified to teach. But when you have someone with a degree in, you know, childhood education and then they get a master's of education and they're teaching physics, I mean, where are you going with that? So you took general physics for two semesters and that qualifies you to teach my kid that? It doesn't. So anyway, let's play this clip and look how accurate they are too. America, the greatest country on earth. A narrative packed and sold to tiny patriots, reinforced by every cartoon, movie, cheeseburger, and mattress sale. Guaranteed. A mythology so entrenched, our most beloved personalities urge us never to question it. Don't let anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great. This right now is the greatest country on earth. Michelle Obama. Greatest country God ever gave me. You're the greatest country in the world, I'll tell you that. America is the greatest country in the world. But what if we did question it? Now, hold on, patriots. I know what you're thinking. America's done some pretty great stuff. And you're right. We built a kick-ass democracy, walked on the moon, and we built universities so prestigious that even Taliban warlords send their kids. And they're still very patient. By the time the Cold War was waning and baby boomers were booming out their own babies, it truly felt like we were the greatest country on Earth. Now, listen, of course there's no single way to measure greatness. But one good test is how we rank in the OECD, which is basically a golf club of 36 countries, predominantly wealthy, Western, and democratic. And unlike most golf clubs, this one's got some diversity, too. America is the richest country in this club, but we're also the poorest, with a whopping 18% poverty rate. Closer to Mexico than Western Europe, 12.8 million American children live in poverty. That's almost one in five of our kids. And speaking of kids, turns out at the level of high school science, we're 19th of 36. Reading, 20th. And math, a dismal 30th. Now, I'm not that good at math, not America's fault, but that does not add up well. And neither does this. We spend more on healthcare than any other country in the golf club, especially out of our own private little pockets. But we live sicker and shorter lives. We're fatter. And globally, we're more likely to see newborns die. 
We're even behind Bosnia. But we have freedom in America, and everyone's jealous or something. The enemies of freedom. Pursuing the enemies of freedom. The enemies of freedom. And other enemies of freedom. Turns out, a lot of countries have freedoms. And while we boast about them, using our rights is a different story. Only 56% of Americans turn out to vote, while it's closer to 80% in countries like Denmark and Australia. And it's getting worse. This year, America slid on global rankings of corruption and freedom and dropped from a functional to a flawed democracy. So what, besides our economy and military, are we actually number one in? Turns out, a lot of things. Civilian gun ownership, mass shootings, TV watching, prescription drug abuse, prison population. Oh, and almost number one on environmental damage, edged out by China. It's gotten to a point where I think there are specific times and places where you can confuse America for a developing country, as elections are tampered with, water can't be drunk from taps, citizens don't trust uniformed officers, infrastructure is crumbling, and where a dual system is emerging when public services are for sale for the highest bidder. You see this in countries like Pakistan or Nigeria, where the rich don't worry about the sad state of electricity or police because, well, they have generators and private security. Or in America, where the Kardashians rent their own firefighting force. We were fortunate enough and blessed enough, and I know that not everyone has this luxury available to them, but we were able to get private firefighters. When health, education, and safety are increasingly privatized or driven by privilege, the truth is, how great America is really depends on how rich you are. Now, I'm not saying where Pakistan or Nigeria or any number of what we like to call developing countries but we're not perched as high above them as we'd like to think. We got so caught up in the rhetoric about America being the greatest country on earth that we've long ignored the cracks in our system. And while a bit of patriotism is great, jingoism is dangerous, especially when it's built on old or fake news. So as we gear up for another election season where politicians tell us America is great, or that it isn't, and then proceed to make it worse, let's try a more truthful approach. America may once have been the greatest, but today, America, we're just okay. Okay, guys, so that was the clip that has triggered the conservatives. And so a lot of the stuff said in there is truthful. A lot of the statistics they use are really outdated, though, because on the uh, mathematics, we're actually lower than 30th. I think we're like 60 something. Um, And I said it before, you know, uh, in the House, you know, the Judiciary Committees. I was like, it's like watching, you know, Parliament in different nations, like in Nigeria, where they were taking, you know, chairs and throwing them at each other. The Democrats are bringing fried chicken in, you know, they're not letting people talk. This has always been the case. Yesterday's show that I uh, have already uploaded for those that missed the live show demonstrated that from what previous presidents have told us that power is being sequestered, you know, that the media is being used by those who have the money. And I've said this before, you know, we have to watch where we get our news because you have to remember that these people have interests 
Someone pays for their advertising. Someone pays their salary. So if that someone has a special interest, they need to support it or else they get no money. Uh, This is how we have corrupt politicians. I mean, I'm seriously thinking of formulating a bill and lobbying for it to be put forward to demand that anyone that takes a seat of House or Senate cannot have any interests in stocks of big companies or their immediate family, period. Because those are interests. How do you expect people to question Twitter when they've invested $100 million, $100,000 in them? I'm just saying, Facebook, $50,000 in stock, you know, quarter million dollars in Square, you know, Pelosi has $118 million in Visa. How are they going to be impartial when those companies are called to the carpet for corruption, for discrimination, for bad practices? They can't. It's like biting their own hand. So in honesty... And if we're completely honest and we look at the health of our nation, this is why President Trump won because he said we need to make America great again. Eisenhower said that. JFK said that. Reagan even said that on his exit speech. We need to make America great again. And the only way we do it is by identifying the issues we have. Indeed, why should the rich have their own security? They're the ones demanding that we give up our guns, but they can have guns protect them doesn't make sense. Why can rich people have their own firefighters, yet there won't be firefighters for you or I who pay taxes for it? Shouldn't be like that, right? So this is where corruption comes in. This is where interests come in. All those people demanding that we give up our rights, our rights to free speech and that we be censored, our rights to bear arms are the ones that are those elitists that are those that are beating the system. And indeed, America is great as long as you are rich. And that's true. We can't lie. That's true. And that is what the president is trying to fix. And do you know why it's like this now? It's because capitalism has been replaced with socialist ideologies. We are a democratic republic, not a democracy per se. We are not a socialist nation. We are one that affords liberties, But do we really have liberty right now? No, they've taken most of our rights away. Our right to privacy, liberty, and the right to protect our own self is being tampered with. So again, we look back to what our nation was to stand for and how in a more um, cyclic type form, right? Like a waveform. It's like, yay, we're great. Whoops, for a few administrations, we're not. Whoa, we're great. Whoops, we're not. Whoa, we're great. We need to just stay on that great train, right? And this is what President Trump is doing right now. So this New York Times opinion piece, totally on point. America is just okay right now, but it's getting way better. Because in 2016, America was horrible. Yet Michelle Obama was like, we're so great. You know, here are the conservatives who complained, you know, two years ago when Hillary Clinton said, how dare President Trump say he wants to make America great again? It's already great. Yeah, it's great for you, but it's not great for the citizens that believe in liberty, in freedom, in competition, and capitalism, which was the foundation of this nation. So 
I'm finding it a little bit odd. So as I was going through this New York Times opinion piece, looking at the responses, I was seeing the conservatives that completely align with the ideology that we need to rebuild our nation, that we need to make it great again, trashing this piece saying, oh, you're wrong. Uh, How are we wrong? Corruption has been exposed. We are no different than other nations. And I've said this before. We were just great at covering it up. Why? Because our mainstream media is hand in hand with the government. I mean, you heard JFK yesterday say it. They hide their secrets. They don't expose them. They spend money and there is no no need for justification. They just do it. Remember, he said that. 60s, guys. It's 2019. We're talking, you know, over 50 years ago. He said it. And it's still here. So, you know, in that sense, we need to understand that we are no better than any other nations, especially when we have corrupt, deep state clowns running our nation for us. And you know who's to blame? We are. Because we put them in power. We gave them that power. We forfeited our rights and said, okay, go ahead, do your thing. And they're becoming rich, rich, rich. I mean, the question is always, hey, you're a public servant. How do you have so much money? Kind of like Bernie Sanders. Dude, you didn't have a job and you became a public servant. Now you got Ferraris and all these properties. What happened? See, that's corruption. This is how it works in Nigeria. Once you get into politics, you're suddenly rich. This is how it happens in Italy. Once you're in politics, suddenly rich. Happens in in Tajikistan, happens in Afghanistan, happens in Iraq, happens everywhere. Because corruption is everywhere. Because power in the wrong hands, sequestered to one group or one, um, I would say, yeah, one group of persons that align with their ideologies. You know, you get drunk on power. You've heard that. And when someone is rich, you see their true face, right? This is what it is. That line segment that I was talking about, where if you have money, you have the authority, you can control everything. Those two line segments, this is actually the clinical picture of our nation that President Trump is attempting to fix. Common core. Everyone praised that. It made us even stupider. That's why I said the rankings are completely outdated. So before people get mad, they should sit down and say, well, you know, they're kind of right. Because that's true. I mean, look at the young adults today. They're insane. They're insane. They have, they suffer from orange man, bad syndrome. They have no talking points and have no idea of what's really going on in their nation and no idea where the nation stands on a, you know, global scale. I'll see you all in just a bit. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr. and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. 
Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961 Promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. So before we talk about this war that is actually going on, let's see what our president says or the key points that we need to think about. Because as I've said, all we need to do is speak to leaders or their spokesperson. So kind of like the person that I spoke to is like the Pompeo to Haftar, you know, who is... um the leader of the uh, Libyan National Army. And we also have to look at where they're going to. So let's take a listen to what President Trump has to say. And then what I'll do is there is this um, pretty interesting uh, piece of, um, and it was so shocking to see where Putin was having a discussion on liberalism. So basically he said the liberal idea is obsolete and it's against the interests of the overwhelming majority of the population. And this is something that he put out um, on the eve of the G20 summit. And um, he was having this conversation with the Financial Times editor, Barber, and, um, you know, obviously the Bureau Uh, Moscow bureau chief, um, Henry Foy. So it was pretty awesome to um, take a listen to this. And I, and I think I only want to play the parts where Putin's talking and, um, 
read the transcription to you. So let's start with our president and what he had to say about what's going on and how the Democrats are pretty much wanting to destroy America. This America that they think is great, but we know is not, and that we're trying to make great. Here's our president. No, no message to Iran. Uh, They know what they're doing. They know what they're playing with. And I think they're playing with fire. So no message to Iran whatsoever. Any reaction to the protests in Hong Kong today? Okay, so let's take Iran. Let's break this down, right? No message to Iran. Don't need to say anything. I'm in no rush. They know what they're doing. They're playing with fire. We already told them, dude, if you try to find ways to get out of what's to come, you know, we can't guarantee that the same regime and the same government will stay. Will A new one may be installed. So let's work this out. Don't wait on Europe. The reason he says this is because the deadline is July 7th for the European Union. Who said they're going to stand by the Iran, you know, agreement? Um, but in order to do that, they got to send him a plane full of cash. So let's see how that works out in a few days. In Hong Kong, I, I hope it gets solved. I was with President Xi of China. We had a great talk, a great discussion. We're talking about uh, doing something and we talked about it briefly, but uh, it's very sad. I, I've rarely seen a protest like that. It's very sad to see. So he was asked about the Hong Kong protest. Uh, he was very uncomfortable responding to it, said that he discussed it, which he said that, you know, hey, exactly what he said. Uh, you know, it's, it's not nice. Didn't want to offer commentary because obviously we don't really know what's going on. So he left it at that. Where? We will be delaying the census for the Supreme Court. Yeah, we're looking at that. Uh, we think that a census, obviously, uh, if, if you do all of this work, and you're talking about nobody can believe this, but they spend billions of dollars on the census, and you're not allowed to ask. You go knock on doors of houses, check houses. You go through all this detail, and you're not allowed to ask whether or not somebody is a citizen. So you can ask other things, but you can't ask whether or not somebody's a citizen. So we are trying to do that. We're looking at that very strongly. And that's true. Remember, I I had um, a show where I talked to you about the census and the purpose of it, which is, you know, the Office of Management and Budget actually allocate millions of dollars and work with the Treasury to fund states and cities so they can apply for aid. So like, for example, Minnesota, that is like the hub for Somalis, got a lot of funding from the federal government because they needed interpreters. They needed facilities uh, for these interpreters. They needed ESL teachers. You know, this is how they get money. I mean, it's, it's like if suddenly we had like a huge population of, I don't know, um, illegal migrants come to my city and my not, we don't have a lot of ESL. So we would need funding in order to pay to bring English as a second language teachers, not only for the schools for child age, but for, you know, the the Department of Labor in order to teach them English while they look for a job. And I know it sounds really bad, illegal migrants being trained under federal dollars to get a job. But guys, this happens. So This is the reason why the census question is important. One, you understand 
how many U.S. citizens are actually enjoying these funds. And two, you see how many illegal migrants are enjoying these funds. And three, you can determine how many U.S. citizens we have and how many we don't. Because the population count, I think, is way off. Why, oh, I'm sorry, back a follow-up. Why do you think it's so important that that question be asked? I think it's very important to find out if somebody's a citizen as opposed to an illegal. I think that there's a big difference to me between being a citizen of the United States and being an illegal. And, you know, the Democrats want to treat the illegals with health care and with other things better than they treat the citizens of our country. If you look at a coal miner that has black lung disease, you're talking about people that get treated better than the coal miner. And these people got sick working for the United States, and we're treating people that just walked in better. You look at what they're doing in California, how they're treating people. They don't treat their people as well as they treat illegal immigrants. So at what point does it stop? It's crazy what they're doing. It's crazy. And it's mean, and it's very unfair to our citizens. And we're going to stop it. But we may need an election to stop it. And we may need to get back the House. Yes. When will the round of trade talks with China begin after your agreement over the weekend? It's already begun. Yeah, already begun. They're speaking very much on phone, but they're also meeting. Yeah, it's essentially already begun. It actually began before our meeting. But do you know when the Lighthizer will sit down? Whatever it takes. Look, if we don't make a great deal, if we don't make a fair deal, it has to be better for us than for them because they had such a big advantage for so many years. In other words, you can't make a 50-50 deal when somebody else has been absolutely... I've been talking about this for years. China made... We had a surplus, meaning they did on us, of $507 billion. It's been hundreds of billions of dollars a year for many, many years. So obviously, we can't make a 50-50 deal. It has to be a deal that is somewhat tilted to our advantage. And if we're not going to do that, we're taking in a fortune from tariffs. And unfortunately, we're hurting China by doing that because many of their companies are leaving and going to a non-tariff state so they don't have to pay the tariffs. And the other misconception about China, and I think you read an article today in the Wall Street Journal about it, our people aren't paying for those tariffs. In that case, certainly, China's paying for them. And those companies are paying for them. China devalued their currency very substantially. And they also put a lot of money into their economy. They're pouring money. It's fake money, but it's money. And they're pouring money into their economy to take care of the tariffs. Our people aren't. You don't have increased inflation. You have no increased inflation. But I'll tell you what is happening. Our Treasury is taking in billions and billions of dollars of money that normally would be for China. So we'll see what happens. We hope that we can make a deal, but it's got to be a fair deal. We had a deal, as far as I was concerned. And then at the last moment, China decided they didn't like that deal. And they changed it. It's all right. Then I said, you're going to pay 25% tariffs on $250 billion. And did President Xi said he would move on some of those issues that were no, disputable? I expect him to move. And if he doesn't move, that's okay, too. I'm very happy either way. But I think we have a good chance of making a deal. I think they want to make a deal. Because they're losing many companies that are leaving because of the tariffs. Because they're- Can I just interject before he completes this thought? You heard how he said, well, you know, we started the talks way before the summit, right? Uh, so like we've been saying, he does a lot more behind the scenes than he does in front. It's all ribbon cutting. They don't want to pay the tariffs. So they're losing many companies. They're moving to Vietnam. And by the way, some are moving back to the United States where they belong. 
Are those entirely off the table now? Well, now they are because I think the president's doing a great job. He put 16,000 people in this weekend and uh, they're forming, but they're, you know, getting to the border and they're doing a great job. And he has 6,000 people at the border with Guatemala. So, I mean, it's been way down. It's, it's cut way down. You'll start to see the numbers over the next you, three or four you weeks. You're going to continuously reassess. So, are, are you that's true. absolutely sure? No, no, that's true. Yeah, if they don't do it, but they're doing a good job. Right now, they're doing a very good job. We're very happy with the job they're doing. No, it was because of tariffs that they're doing it. But what, the point is, they're doing a very good job. And he's very smart to do it because that's a tiny fraction. It sounds like a lot of soldiers, but that's a fraction of what tariffs would cost Mexico. But I very much appreciate it. And he's doing a great job for Mexico, because the Mexican people were very upset with all of these tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people walking through Mexico. And the people of Mexico are just as happy as I am with what they're doing. Facebook group and these derogatory and vulgar comments that they've been making about um, members of Congress? Well, I don't know what they're saying about members of Congress. I know that the Border Patrol is not happy with the Democrats in Congress. I will say the Republicans do want border security. The Democrats want open borders. Open borders means tremendous crime. If you look, there was a report that came out where approximately 600 people in the last caravan were serious criminals. I don't want them in our country. So the Border Patrol, they're patriots. They're great people. They love our country. They know what's coming in. And you know who knows it better than anybody? Hispanics. Hispanics love what I'm doing. Because, number one, they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to take a pay cut. And very importantly, most importantly, they don't want to have crime. They understand it. The people that understand the border the best are Hispanics. They understand it better than anybody. And they don't want to have to suffer crime. And they don't want to take a pay cut. They don't want to lose their job. That's why my poll numbers went way up with Hispanics, because they really understand the border the best of anybody. Okay. Any other questions? Do you plan to have tanks out on 4th of July at the Lincoln Memorial for speech? We're going to have a great 4th of July in Washington, D.C. It'll be like no other. It'll be special. And I hope a lot of people come. And it's going to be uh, about this country. And it's a salute to America. And I'm going to be here, and I'm going to say a few words, and we're going to have planes going overhead, the best fighter jets in the world, and other planes, too. And we're going to have some tanks stationed outside. Got to be pretty careful with the tanks, because the roads have a tendency not to like to carry heavy tanks, so we have to put them in certain areas. But we have the brand-new Sherman tanks, so we have the brand-new uh, Abram tanks, and we have uh, some incredible equipment, military equipment on display, brand-new. And uh, we're very proud of it. You know, we're making a lot of new tanks right now. We're building a lot of new tanks in Lima, Ohio, uh, our great tank factory that people wanted to close down until I got elected, and I stopped it from being closed down. And now it's a very productive facility, and they do nobody. It's the greatest tank in the world. Do you think the you Abrams. can give a speech that can reach all Americans? I think so. I think so. I think I've reached most Americans. Most Americans want no crime. Most Americans want a strong military. They want good education. They want good health care. Uh, if you look at pre-existing conditions, the Republicans are going to save pre-existing conditions. The Democrats won't be able to do it. What the Democrats' plan is, is going to destroy the country, and it's going to be horrible health care. Horrible health care. And everybody's taxes are going to go to 95 percent. And by the way, that's not enough. 
But the taxes, if they ever did what they want to do, your taxes go to 95%, and that isn't nearly enough. Thank you very much, everybody. All right. So uh, let's kind of just break down. He said, I am reaching most Americans. And for a July 4th celebration to showcase tanks and our military and just instill that pride, because remember, the July 4th celebration is to celebrate our independence that was done through war, that was done through strength, and that was done through unity for believing in at what this nation was intended to be. And this would be a great reminder uh, to the nation that the J- July 4th celebration is to celebrate our unity and our strength to come together and demand that our nation would never be a socialist nation again. That's basically what they ran away from. They wanted liberty. They wanted the right to protect themselves, the right to privacy, and the right for competition. If you can compete, you win. You don't get a trophy, you know, just for participating. This is something that has been introduced for the past three decades now, right? Participation trophies, fifth place trophies. First, it started with like, hey, fourth place, fifth place, um, you know, honorable mention. Now everybody gets a trophy. So there's no point in competing. And this is done for a purpose. To neutralize the need to strive for better. In a socialist country, there's no point in putting that extra effort that extra homework, that extra course that you'll take, uh, the sleepless nights, because the person that's not doing that will be at the same place you are the next day. So it's going to be an amazing celebration. He's pretty much outlined to you what is happening, what is going on, what is pertinent, and where he stands. Uh, I wanted to say that uh, during, you know, the playing of this clip, there was a tweet that was sent out uh, by the president where he said, hey, uh, so fake news is saying that we're not pursuing the census thing. Uh, We totally are. So, you know, the census thing was, hey, you need to come back and tell us and give us actual reasons as to why it should be on there. So that was um, extremely interesting to see where the fake news has been reporting. Well, he lost too bad. He's not going to do anything when in essence he is, it has just started. So on that, on that, let's take a look at what's going on. Let's, let's, let's start getting into the mood of what we're going to be talking about in the next hour. So unbeknownst to many, we had uh, the former, uh, the former Turkish prisoner. Do you remember when President Trump uh, was elected? You remember the Christian preacher, Andrew Brunson, the pastor that was held in a Turkish prison for preaching Christianity. And some other people say that he was probably, you know, CIA turned pastor because we know the central agency likes to place their people. He testified. Okay. He testified uh, on Capitol Hill just last week and take a listen to what he has to say about Turkey. It's Brunson, interesting. A man who went to prison in Turkey for preaching Christianity says the Turkish government is becoming an exporter of radical Islam. Brunson testified on Capitol Hill today 
and spoke about the nearly two years he spent behind bars. Correspondent Wyatt Goolsby talked to the Protestant leader, pastor, earlier today. He joins us now from the State Department. Good evening, Wyatt. Good evening, Lauren. Pastor Andrew Brunson tells me he still prays for Turkey, even after years of suffering by the Turkish government. He says conditions for Christians are getting worse, which is why people who believe in Jesus Christ need to remain strong. Clearly, there's a targeting of pastors, uh, especially foreigners right now. There are a number of people who are being deported, a number of people who are leaders of churches in Turkey, and I know a number of them. Uh, the concern is once that happens, who's next on the list? Pastor Andrew Brunson in Washington today speaking about the plight of religious minorities in Turkey. He reminded the public not to sideline the harassment of Christians in the country. Prisoners of conscience or prisoners who are, uh, who are being persecuted because of their faith, they want to know that people outside are engaged, that they're, that they're praying if they're believers, but also that, uh, that, they're, that at least they're aware and speaking out. Religious freedom in Turkey has deteriorated since President Erdogan gained more power over the last two years. Open Doors USA, the Christian advocacy group, says Erdogan's government generally supports the idea a true Turk must be a Sunni Muslim. Brunson was imprisoned in 2016 during a crackdown following a failed coup attempt against the Turkish leader. They claimed Brunson was a spy and was spreading terrorism due to his Christian missionary work. He wasn't released until two years later after his case made international headlines. American citizens have Christina Ariaga, a member of the bipartisan commission organizing today's hearing that welcomed experts to speak on the situation, says the United States can do more. It would be important for the U.S. government to ensure that the Turkish government understands that Americans are interested in freedom for everyone in Turkey. Neither Christina Ariaga nor Andrew Brunson expect conditions to change right away. They say it won't change without more awareness. Christianity has a long history in Turkey, but today Christians number less than 200,000. That's less than 1% of the total population. Lauren? Correspondent Wyatt Goolsby reporting from the State Department. Thank you, Wyatt. That was some noisy State Department there. So... Basically, what he said was, is that Turkey is a key exporter of terrorism, promotes radical Islam, right? And, um, you know, you have to be a Sunni Muslim to be proper. And we all know that Turkey is one of the biggest and hardest and strongest supporters of the Muslim Brotherhood. But here's where it gets really weird. So just the other day, um, we had um, Senator Menendez send a letter to Mike Pompeo. So Robert Menendez, uh, you know, who's on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, this will be fun because we also have, you know, the Hamas caucus involved. They demanded an investigation and asked for explanations by July 15th of the arms agreements that we have with the United Arab Emirates. Now, I'll tell you why this is happening. So, um... Basically, Menendez is saying that, you know, that if indeed allegations, um, you know, are true about um, Libya receiving arms shipments from the United Emirates, then we have to terminate sales of weapons to the United Emirates, right, to the UAE. So he actually um, said that, 
you know, this would be a problem and that, uh, you know, this is breaking any UN embargoes, you know, on Libya because Libya has, there's an embargo saying you can't have weapons, but here's the funny part. Okay. Malta and Turkey are shipping weapons to Tripoli. Uh, Turkey's unmanned drones are bombing places in Tripoli and they were responsible for the bombing in the migrant center. And we'll get into that. But apparently uh, it's only one sided. So if anyone is supporting the Li- the Libyan National Army and not the Western controlled army, the radical Islam army, uh, then that's a problem. And now the Times had said that um, Libya's unity government said that they found javelin missiles um, uh, in the possession of um, uh, General Haf- who is um, the leader of the Libyan uh, National Army. And remember, the Libyan National Army is trying to remove jihadis. They are trying to eradicate ISIS terrorist cells. ISIS terrorist cells. So this Sunday, as I reported to you on Monday, they declared war on Turkey because they found and they had arrested and they had detained, questioned, and uh, grabbed information from Turkish officers they found in Syria. Now, two of those officers were actually found guilty in Turkey before Erdogan came to power and thrown in jail for espionage. They were found to be operatives and committing acts of espionage against Turkey on behalf of, guess who? The central agency. Now, when Erdogan took power, he reinstated these military officers to work. And those are the officers, and I have copies of their passports, their photos, the dates. I received all of that. They, um, (laughs) they were in Libya to take out the Libyan National Army. And in turn, they are attacking areas of Libya that are controlled by Western forces or, you know, the UN and bombing them themselves. So it's not even the LNA. So it's a really big hot mess. But it's curious how... um, you know, we have the Democrats throwing their full weight behind Turkey on this because Turkey is the one that's calling for these investigations. Turkey is the one that is, you know, screaming it out like they did for Khashoggi. Now, <clears throat> the sales of weapons that they had and done with the United Emirates, uh, Pompeo said that they had done that uh, pretty quickly uh, with them because of the tensions rising in Iran. And so now the Democrats are saying that uh, they need to block the sale and um, they didn't have enough votes to override the president's veto on that. This is a big deal because I've been saying this since November. War is not going to break out because of Iran. It's going to break out because of who? Turkey. And the information that I received as to why the Democrats are involved is even more insane. Scratching wounds of Benghazi and a lot coming to the surface. We'll touch and talk about all of that right after this short break.
Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Remember, I'm always here, 12 to 2 Eastern Time, live, only on Red State Talk Radio. If you want to follow news and tidbits, you can find me on Twitter, at Tori underscore says, or on Gab. I haven't been using Gab for a while, though. I have to get back to it. And for the latest mm, breaking news, deep dives, you can always go to torysays.com or lauralumer.us or maybe on Big League or wherever I may be writing. I usually tweet it out anyway. So we're going to talk about war. There is war going on and there is a mainstream media blackout. I mean, there's two narratives going too, which is pretty insane. So what's can we understand like what are we seeing is going on what is available to us because there are foreign uh press outlets that are um reporting and telling the world uh you know what's going on they're putting it out there they're making it clear so we're going to start with a little short discussion uh i guess video that i want to play which is easier just to see bias slash non-bias from TRT World. Uh, And uh, this broadcast, and it's Turkish public TV, right? Turkish. Remember that. Turkish. They put out a video over a month ago that said, who is supporting Libya's Khalifa Haftar? And Khalifa Haftar, General Haftar, is the leader of the Libyan National Army. Now, if you imagine Libya to be, let's see, what state would it resemble in shape? Oregon, okay? Imagine Libya was the state of Oregon, so you understand where the concerns are. Okay, so all of Oregon, except for the region that's like Portland, you know, by the river, by the border where Seattle is, all the way to the Pacific, uh, down to Lincoln City and then you kind of like skip over that and go toward the south more and just a little bit a few miles and then just a little bit in so it's kind of like what one-fourth of the state is supposedly where the legitimate Libyan forces are supposed to be the rest of it is the liber uh, the Libyan uh, national army and their headquarters is Benghazi whereas the headquarters for the jihadi driven terror cells driven Turkey and Qatar funded operations with a little bit of injection from the EU via Malta is based out of Tripoli So, and they're losing ground uh, every single time. So just take a listen to how the Turks are putting this together. His army controls almost two thirds of Libya. 
and the main oil fields in the country. General Khalifa Haftar has been strengthened by successful offensive. With military support provided by foreign countries, Haftar was able to gain ground and move. So the foreign countries that supported Haftar lately, since 2017, is the United States, the United Emirates, right? Uh, Egypt. And is that, I believe that would be um, Oman and supposedly France. I highly doubt that. So this is Turkish television, Turkish mainstream media. That's Turkish state controlled media telling you this further east and south and he is now seeking to control the capital Tripoli in an attempt to bring all of Libya under his control. This has raised fears of another deadly civil war. So who is Khalifa Haftar and who is supporting him? Khalifa Haftar is a former Libyan army general who spent two decades in self-imposed exile in the US. Okay let's stop right there. Who is Khalifa Haftar? First of all like they said he controls the majority of Libya, the majority, again, majority. And he is now going to Tripoli. That's the only city that he doesn't have control over. He created a junda government, like a martial law, to remove jihadis. Again, to remove the Muslim Brotherhood, to remove ISIS terrorists from his nation and then create the elections. That's that's basically what he's saying. And this is why the people of Libya are, are falling behind him. But for some reason, Turkey says, well, he's taken over this whole nation and everyone's following behind him. But he's really bad and we're really trying to hold on to Tripoli. After he was disowned by Libya's Muammar Gaddafi, he returned to Libya in 2011 and joined the fight against Gaddafi and became a key commander of the makeshift rebel forces. A few years later, he became a main player in the Libyan civil war after he gathered militias and launched Operation Dignity, a military campaign aimed at ousting Al-Qaeda and its affiliates out of Benghazi and the east. But what started as a military campaign against the extremist groups in eastern Libya turned into an attempt to control all of the country. Let me just stop right there. So he came back after Gaddafi um, was taken down. And um, during the Benghazi attack, he was responsible to remove the terrorists from Benghazi after it. He was the one that liberated Benghazi. And guess what? He's the one that just announced that the ringleader of the Benghazi attack, the one that is responsible for the death of our four great patriots that died there is actually where? In Ankara, Turkey. <gasps> what? And wait till you hear later on when I tell you who let that dude go. Take a listen. And this, this is probably why um, the Democrats are so adamant about taking down the only guy that's getting rid of jihadis. Haftar aligned with the Tobruk government and became the leader of the Libyan National Army, a mix of military units and militias. Emboldened by his recent gains and support from his allies, Haftar ordered his self-styled Libyan National Army to march to Tripoli on April 4th in an attempt to oust the UN-backed government of national accord after years of political deadlock. Did you hear that? To oust the UN-backed GNA. Between the two rivals. Four weeks into Haftar's assault in Tripoli, the warlord is not making any military progress. But fighting around the capital has killed hundreds and resulted in a mass exodus as thousands left their homes. 
So who is supporting Haftar in his new war? The UAE has been providing Haftar with military support for years. It was one of the countries accused of violating the international arms embargo on Libya for giving weapons to Haftar's Alanay. In August 2014... Isn't it funny how Turkey is the only one that's targeting like Saudi Arabia, the UAE, you know, all those people that don't want jihadis, that don't want terror, that don't want, you know, all this you know, turmoil in the Middle East. Isn't it funny? You know, they did this whole Khashoggi thing. Now this is happening and who's jumping on that bandwagon? The Democrats. 14, during Haftar's Operation Dignity, Emirates airplanes conducted airstrikes on Benghazi from an Egyptian airbase. In 2016, the UAE built up a military base in Al Khadim in eastern Libya to support Haftar's military operation. Haftar's Alane has also received aircrafts and military vehicles from the UAE. According to the Wall Street Journal, the UAE has also participated in secret negotiations with Haftar in 2018 to export Libya's oil through channels other than the UN-approved exporter. UN-approved exporter. Get that? Days before Haftar launched his offensive on Tripoli, he was on a visit to Saudi Arabia. He met King Salman, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the Kingdom Intelligence Chief and the Foreign Minister. The Wall Street Journal reported that Saudi Arabia promised Haftar millions ahead of his military campaign. The source quoted said the money was intended to buy the loyalty of Libyan tribal leaders and pay fighters. What? So now Saudi Arabia again. Darn, Turkey, you must have a real big bone to pick with Saudi Arabia, right? Egypt has close ties with Haftar. During the assault on Tripoli, Haftar visited Egypt and took President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi's blessing. A statement by Sisi's office confirmed Egypt's support for the Haftar offensive. Egypt has previously provided military support to Haftar's military campaign in 2014. I just want to make a, a, a point across. So this is Turkish public television, right? And they're painting a picture of how the Arab nations who are trying to expel UN-backed slash ISIS terror cells from Libya as the bad people. And we have to remember that during the G20 summit, what were the topics that Erdogan said he was going to talk about? The S-400 missiles, which he's not going to get away with, with the U.S. We've already put our foot down and that's done. And Khashoggi. And, oh, Egypt's previous president died and people let him die on the floor and nobody helped him. Because, you know, the previous president was one of the biggest and staunchest and strongest Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you know, ad, um, I would say advocates slash leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood ever. And that is something that Turkey aligns with a lot, too. Although France publicly supports the UN-backed government in Tripoli, it has also provided Haftar with financial, military and intelligence support. The double role played by France in the conflict sparked disputes with other European countries. Italy, for instance, fears the influx of migrants to its shores if the fighting continues. Italy has accused France of jeopardizing Libya's security in return for economic and commercial benefits. Okay, so I just want people to know that in Libya, they used to have a French-controlled population. Now, France is playing the double agent role. They're giving them 
really bad intelligence and they're sharing intelligence. Obviously, Haftar knows this because, you know, the European Union wants control of Libya. Hence why the UN is there. Hence why the UN is being backed. And hence why Turkey is involved and why Malta is shipping out weapons to them. After France blocked an EU resolution condemning Khalifa Haftar's assault on Tripoli. France has a strategic partnership with Haftar as it relies on oil imports from the Haftar-controlled regions of Libya. But Libyans were not happy about France's involvement with Haftar. France's oil giant Total has access to Haftar-controlled oil reserves in the southern and eastern parts of Libya. In March 2018, Total has expanded its reach through a $450 million deal purchasing a 16% stake in the Waha Oil Company, a subsidiary of Libya state-owned oil enterprise. Okay, and I just want to put a hiatus there. Total, you know, the oil company, guess who has the biggest interest in it? It's actually MBS. So it's the Saudi prince. Remember how the Saudi prince in Argentina met with Macron and he's like, you're not listening and whatnot. They were talking about this. Because like I've said before, if Saudi Arabia wants to cripple the EU, they can pull out all their investments. Carrefour, which is their largest supermarket giant, mainly owned by Saudis. Total, which is their, you know, oil company that supposedly has all these Libyan interests, is mostly owned by Saudi Arabia. France is just enjoying royalties by investment because they have to, because the Saudis 10, 15, and 20 years ago invested a lot of money and they have a lot of controlling interests in their basic, huge, large business infrastructures in France, including their banks like Société Générale, you know, that was, you know, commercial banking and it was actually elitist banking. So wealth management turned into, uh, you know, commercial banking and then bought out other banking systems, which fall under the umbrella of the Malfan Group, which is controlled by Saudi Arabia. So Macron, remember, he's a prince. Remember that he's royalty. He's a co-ruler right? He and Saudi Arabia have common interests only because Saudi Arabia owns most of the stuff in France. So they kind of play double-edged sword, but you know, they're only batting for the EU team. But suspicion of France support for Haftar looms large. This month, Tunisia arrested a group of 13 armed French nationals across the border. France said the group is part of a diplomatic mission, while media reports said the group was made up of French intelligence personnel providing logistical support to the LNA. Although the US officially backs the GNA, President Donald Trump contradicted his country's foreign policy and praised Haftar's fight to eradicate terrorism and protect his country's oil reserves. A report by Bloomberg stated that President Trump gave the green light for Haftar to continue his offensive on Tripoli during a phone call made last week. Ah, and this is from April 24th. And I'm going to tell you why he urged them and why he said, yeah, they have the right to take Tripoli. I mean, they have all of Libya. All the Libyans want to be free. They are eradicating terrorism and jihadis where they're only present in Tripoli. Wait, it gets real good now. Trump's backing of Haftar came after a conversation with Haftar's allies in the region, Egypt's Sisi and the UAE's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed. Trump's conversation with Haftar took place after Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi met with the U.S. President on April 9 and urged him to back Haftar, according to the two people familiar with the matter. 
Trump also spoke with Abu Dhabi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, a Haftar supporter, the day before the White House issued a statement acknowledging the call with Haftar. Okay, wait till I tell you what the conversation was about because in the beginning of April, General Haftar of the Libyan National Army arrested, captured six Turkish military officials. And this is why it's key, because what they found out is of interest to us. And what they found out may be the surprise we are expecting, you know, in the next week, maybe, right? Because if we were to find out that the ringleader that caused the Benghazi attack was actually let go by certain someones, hmm, that's interesting, right? Let's continue. With foreign support on his side, will Haftar be able to control the Libyan capital? All right, so that happened, right? So now we're going to fast forward to this weekend and listen to what is being said about Libya. Head of Libya's National Army, Khalifa Haftar, has ordered attacks on Turkish ships and interests, according to his postman on Friday. After suffering a serious setback on Thursday during a Tripoli offensive, he instructed his fighters to attack. Strategic sites, companies and projects belonging to the Turkish state in Libya are considered legitimate targets by the armed forces. For a strong man from the east of the country, he claims Ankara is backing his rivals. On Friday evening, his spokesman Ahmed al-Mismari announced that the marshal had ordered his forces to target Turkish ships and ban flights to and from Turkey. According to Al-Mismari, supplies of arms and ammunition were received by the UN-backed government GNA forces via the Mediterranean. In 2011, the UN imposed an arms embargo on Libya after a revolt that ousted Muammar Gaddafi's regime. Okay, so Al-Mismari is um, the spokesperson's office that I spoke with. And so the target, um, why they're targeting the ships is because what I said, they're bringing in people to fight and arms to fight via the Mediterranean. And again, what did we see? That Turkey has now expanded their waters to the shores of Africa demanding that it's theirs and they're violating international and European laws on this. Now, here's what it, where it gets interesting. The next day, Turkey made an announcement. Turkey is ready to hit back strongly in the event of any attack by Libya's military general Khalifa Haftar forces, according to the defense minister. This follows an order issued by the head of the Libyan National Army instructing his forces to attack Turkish ships and interest in Libya. After suffering a serious setback on Thursday during a Tripoli offensive, Turkey has responded swiftly in barely 48 hours of Haftar's threats, stating that there will be a very heavy price for hostile attitudes or attacks of any form. The minister added that Turkey is well armed to deal with any threat or antagonistic action against the country. Strategic sites, companies and projects belonging to the Turkish state in Libya are considered legitimate targets by the Haftar forces. Khalifa Haftar claims Ankara is backing his rivals. Libya's government of national accord has been battling rival forces under the control of General Khalifa Haftar who launched an offensive to take the capital three months ago. So what we have is, is that they've uh, actually identified Turkish interests, right? 
within within Libya. They've claimed that they are targets and they found out from these hostages, which, by the way, were released. And we're going to talk about that. And actually, one um, news outlet reported it. And obviously, it's only Turkish TV that's playing it. I think this one is a BBC commentary, but we're going to I'm going to play a little clip where Turkey threatened action against Haftar militia. They call it a militia. See, the the narrative going from the European side and from the side of Turkey is that they're a militia, they're illegitimate, but they have control of the whole nation except for Tripoli. And Tripoli is actually controlled by the UN. It all started when troops loyal to Libya's internationally recognized government retook Garyan. They captured the city just south of the capital, Tripoli, in a surprise attack against a militia that calls itself the Libyan National Army, or the LNA. We found modern weapons while Libya is under embargo. These weapons were imported from certain countries. These countries should use them to defend themselves, but instead of that, they became involved in the conflict and the Libyan bloodbath. Just a hiatus, they they call this guy the UN-recognized legitimate Libyan army, which only have like, you know, a radius of what, 100 miles of the whole country. Just making that point. Most of them are American weapons, as you can see. The LNA controls eastern Libya and parts of the south. It's led by Khalifa Haftar. He has the backing of the United Arab Emirates and Egypt and is battling militias loosely allied with Libya's internationally recognized government. Turkey supports that government, which is based in Tripoli. And after losing control of Garyan, Haftar's forces blamed Ankara for the attack. His fighters have been ordered to target Turkish ships in Libya's territorial waters and implement a ban on commercial flights from Turkey to Libya. Orders have been issued to the ground forces to target all Turkish strategic objectives, Turkish companies, headquarters and all projects that belong to the Turkish state as legitimate targets of the armed forces in response to this aggression. All flights to and from Turkey are also stopped and any Turkish nationals on Libyan territory will be arrested. Haftar's forces seized Garyan in early April during an offensive to try to capture the capital. But that advance was brought to a standstill on the outskirts of Tripoli. His forces still hold several areas there and remain in striking distance of the capital. Gavin Blackburn, TRT World. Okay, so that was TRT. I actually thought that they pounced it off of BBC. But when Haftar was making his speech, I noticed that there was no mainstream media there. Now, here's the breaking part, and this is where we break off for commercial. But this is where Libya, the the Libyan National Army, that supposedly isn't the recognized one, but has most of Libya and backing from all Arab nations, release six Turkish citizens. And they were all officers. 
Sami Hamdi is the editor for the International Interest. It focuses on Middle East and Far East Asian politics. He joins us from the Tunisian city of Sidi Bouzid. Sami, thank you very much indeed for your time. How deeply involved is Turkey in fighting Khalifa Haftar's illegal militia that Haftar should threaten Turkish nationals in Libya? Libya is a battleground for the different foreign powers, whether that's the UAE and Egypt on one side or Qatar and Turkey on the other side, with France constantly changing sides. Today, it seems to be with Haftar, with the Italians backing Tripoli, so they're on the side of the Turks and the Qataris, and the US only getting involved in so far as it affects uh, the oil price. The extent of the involvement is always up for debate. We know that the UAE is supplying weapons. We know Egypt is only supplying logistics and not supplying weapons. We know that the Qataris are supplying funding. And it's been rumored that the Turks are supplying some drones, at least that's what Haftar is claiming, in order to support uh, the, 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 the troops in militia, the troops in uh, Tripoli who are fighting uh, Haftar. So the extent of Turkish involvement is up for debate, but Turkey is definitely involved, as are the Qataris, as are perhaps uh, most of the global powers, including Russia. Okay, so Russia is not supporting the Turkish move on Tripoli. It is not in their interest. But you know how... You heard him say, well, you know, it's Turkey and Qatar, and then it's like the UAE and the U.S. and Egypt on one side, and France flippy-floppy. That's exactly what I was saying. But here's the thing. Yesterday, there was an air raid. It was first reported as a missile, a surface-to-air, uh, surface-to-surface missile strike uh, in right outside of Tripoli, uh, where there was a migrant center with refugees and migrants. Well, here's the kicker. It was actually a Turkish unmanned drone that did that. So here's the deal. Like I said, the Turkish people are actually attacking certain areas. They wanted to get rid of the migrants because it's causing issues with Malta and Italy. And then they're blaming the LNA for this. This is a big deal that we have Turkish drones attacking the same side that they're supposedly supporting and then blaming the LNA for it. So right after this break, I'm going to tell you when they released these six officers, what information they provided to the international community, which is going to rock the United States political world for sure. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855 800 
800-259-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. So here's where you already got the idea of what's going on in Libya, what is being said by the Turkish side, where we stand as a nation, and what is really going on. So here's the skinny, okay, because I'm going to be writing this up, and possibly in separate articles, because Peter Strzok is actually involved in this too, and we're talking uh, from back in the day of the Benghazi incident. Uh, Not only that, Brennan is involved and Hillary Clinton. This is why the Democrats are so involved. So six Turkish officers were detained in April and they were released or they're being released or the announcement is because this is confusing because there's nothing coming out of Libya saying this. But, um, and here's the thing, the Turkish uh, Office of Foreign Affairs would not confirm or deny that um, six of their officers are hostage, even though I have uh, their names and their identification. So, but Turkey has called for the release of six officers without saying who's captured them. So that's super weird. So... The people that were arrested are part of Erdogan's military consultants, um, and they actually run all the jihadi, uh, you know, terror cells. And they are part of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, and they guide it, uh, the ones, the heads of the Muslim Brotherhood in Tripoli. Now, as you saw in the news, they said, oh, they didn't succeed in taking Tripoli and all this stuff. Well, here's the deal. They got these officers. 
So by having those officers, they met with other nations. Uh, Haftar met with uh, many Arab nations. Haftar met with uh, people of our, you know, nation, uh, with other ambassadors, with even representatives of Russia and Syria, Assad. And the information that was provided is pretty incredible. Now, just to tell you, one of them is the... um, Assistant Secretary of um, the Ministry of Defense of Turkey. Another person that was captured is the head of uh, the Ministry of Information for uh, the uh, Armed Forces of Turkey. So he is what would be the equivalent, the head of intelligence communications for the military of Turkey. Another one is um, one of these two people that I told you. Uh, You know what? I'll tell you about him later. Um, And then the other one is um, he is a an admiral. uh, And he was also captured. Um, Let's see. And there is a colonel. A colonel that was arrested and detained by uh, Libya that was the first one to head the attacks into Syria by Turkey. So the other two that I was talking about that were that had been arrested is um, one was a lieutenant general. He was actually tried to 13 years in prison for working with U.S. intelligence against Turkey. But when Erdogan became president, he was reinstalled as a lieutenant general and sent to Libya. The other one was also, the other uh, detainee is a um, uh, an agent for Turkey, He was actually arrested and charged with espionage as well, working for the central agency. And when Erdogan uh, became president, he reinstated him in within his intelligence community after promoting him to um, lieutenant, uh, is it? No, Colonel. Uh, He promoted him to Colonel in 2018 and then sent him off to dictate and command the special forces unit that they have in Libya. And then the um, Admiral, Rear Admiral, sorry, Rear Admiral uh, that was also detained was charged with 16 years in prison, but then released by Erdogan when Erdogan became president uh, because he cooperated with the central agency against Turkey uh, and was put as head of amphibian attacks of the Navy, uh, the Turkish Navy. So these uh, dudes, all six of them, in the possession of Libya, right? People that have started the wars in Syria, all installed in Libya, in Tripoli, were actually obtained and captured on that attack into Tripoli. And this was done through intelligence provided by other nations in the region, 
and those that seek to liberate Libya and align with the uh, Libyan National Army. So they were captured. They went in there not to take over Tripoli, but to actually capture these guys. Now, capturing them, they realized that they were the ones funding the terror cells in Syria and Libya. But not only that, they found out that in Ankara, in Ankara, and this was announced yesterday, in Ankara, Ali bin Tahir Harazi, who was one of the relatives of those that were supposedly killed, um, there were, uh, you know, after Benghazi, they said, oh, we got one of the Benghazi ringleaders and they died through a missile strike in Mosul and stuff like that. Well, he's alive and well. And I'll tell you who he is. So here's the funny part. That Masmadi's office was very clear that these gangs that the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda uh, have put together attacking Libya this Islamic state group, right? Because they are totally against the Muslim Brotherhood, ISIS and Al-Qaeda. He said, they're the same thing. They're not different. All of these factions are the same thing. And everyone keeps saying that, you know, terrorism and terrorism. But the thing is, the Muslim Brotherhood is the one that has been, you know, in 2018 was pushing back the presidential and parliamentary elections in Libya, uh, because that's something that the Liberal National Army, the Libyan National Army wanted was elections, they wouldn't allow it. And the Arab League, specifically the head of it back then, Abulget, said that um, countries have actually... Um, you know, stepped up to fund various, you know, militia groups around Libya to join the um, Libyan National Army. So this is why it's so interconnected. And under the Obama administration, he noted that there were more attacks and they had gained more ground because, you know, this is a Qatari Turkish pro-Muslim brotherhood um, war campaign, but more so information wars. And that, you know, it's, it's very indicative of how Ankara and Doha have, you know, aligned each other with the European Union um, to take over Libya. So this is something he said. But the more interesting part is um, the, uh, how would I say, the revelations of um, the Clintons. Okay. So just to dial it back, in 2012, this one person who's the ringleader of Benghazi and was suspected as such was arrested in Turkey in 2012. And so what happened was the FBI questioned this man, uh, you know, to see if he indeed is the terrorist, if he indeed was, uh, you know, responsible for the Benghazi attack. So what happened was he was extradited to Tunisia next to, you know, um, Syria. And uh, the FBI sent a team to question him. So what's funny is that he was deported to Tunisia and was questioned in Tunisia by the FBI. 
And then just months later, after he was interrogated by the FBI, he was released from prison in Tunisia. Now, not only that, during um, a hearing, uh, Secretary Clinton, you know, on the Benghazi hearing, you guys should revisit that. It was in late January. She told senators that the Tunisians had assured the United States that he was not uh, he was being monitored by the court. And then that following, uh, you know, uh, month, uh, the conference, you know, during the confirmation process, Brennan was then, you know, made CIA director. Right. So. The next month, following that statement by Hillary Clinton, Brennan said that the U.S. government didn't have anything on him. Therefore, you know, him being released is no big deal. Turns out this guy is being housed in Ankara by, you know, Turkey, who was indeed the ringleader and let go because he was part of the family of ringleaders. They were all brothers. So the guy that actually led the attack in Benghazi was let go by our FBI and has been harbored in Ankara. Now, you know, the Libyan National um, Army provided this information to Washington, provided this information to Saudi Arabia, to the United Emirates. They provided so much information that now handing over these six officials to Turkey will ultimately mean that they will be put to death. So the, the weird thing is, is that, you know, they were, he was a brother of the two brothers that supposedly died while we were hunting them down. They let the ringleader go on purpose. He was working with the United States. Brennan and Hillary Clinton let him go, and he is in Ankara. And General Haftar has already provided all this information. Now, apparently, you know, they were constantly pushing the daily beast pushed that this guy was not the ringleader again mainstream media information war and you know um he the daily beast reported that u.s intelligence officials which were off the record um and were demanded to have anonymity to report this said that you know that person um you know was a suspect because of um his relation but it turned out you know he wasn't and what he was trying to do is he was arrested in istanbul when he went to turkey in order to get to syria which is so dumb because he was like right there in libya and could have went the other way through tunisia but anyway so what i'm trying to say is that this guy now haftar has pulled that trigger he pulled that trigger when he declared war, when he saw Turkey was not only responsible for the unmanned drone attacks to his army, to villages and to cities that don't have military operations, but he was so pedoed because there were drone attacks within Tripoli that were being blamed on the LNA when they were doing absolutely zero on activity there. Absolutely zero. And TRT was like, yeah, they hold a couple of fronts, you know, but they were not successful on grabbing Tripoli. That is the only place that the UN still has a foot. 
foot. And you have to wonder, why is the UN so adamant to say this is the recognized government, these 10 people, not the rest of the nation that wants them? So you have to think what is going on here, right? So he decided, you know what? Forget this. They already gave me the intelligence. Yo. So the most wanted terrorist, he's hiding out in Ankara. We have his information. Erdogan is harboring the biggest terrorists that are still being sought out. One of them, the U.S. let go on purpose, on purpose. So the person that was responsible for these atrocious actions against our people, these four patriots that were massacred, that were tortured in Benghazi at the hands of Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State then, has been hiding in Ankara, Turkey ever since. They've let him go. Clinton said, oh yeah, you know, the Tunisian government is kind of looking at him. How are they looking at him if he's in Ankara? Brennan said, well, we had nothing on him, so we had to let him go. What? You had his two brothers, but he was independent. They let him go. This is coming to the table. This is coming to the carpet. And all the Arab nations know because what President Trump is doing is purging this deep state connection. What you don't understand, it's not just concentrated domestically. It is a global thing. And this is why, you know, I've always said President Trump being elected is us winning the war. We won the war. Now we're fighting. Whereas the other side is fighting to win a war that they've already lost. The, the thing that I had stated back in November is that when we see Turkey start to move, and they did, and that's what happened late that November, prior to my statement, boom, oil ships going out. I said, the minute they start to get aggressive, that's where World War III will pop. It's the Eastern Mediterranean. And look no further than to the responses the Democratic side has to say. The fact that our president said, you know what? I totally am with you. You know, you're getting rid of terrorists. You think the Arab nations want crazy jihadis running around? Do you think they want terrorism running around? Do you think they don't want people coming for tourism to their nations? Do you think they don't want us shopping their products? No, they want to be part of the global economy. They like the fact that we're totally different to them because our, you know, mesh, our lifestyle produces Hollywood, produces technology, produces all the indulgences that mankind can access. They want to be free. They want to participate in the global economy and they do not want to be held hostage because the Muslim Brotherhood, which is now left to only two nations, Turkey, Qatar is actually, you know, Europe massed as as a Arab nation. Qatar has been ousted by all Arab nations, right? Nobody talks to Qatar. It's like, dude, just go away. So they're the ones pushing. It has come to light that all the terrorists come from Turkey. All the mercenaries are deriving from Turkey. All the stolen artifacts, gold and uranium are sold on the black market in Turkey. 
yet they're part of NATO. Yet they have the backing of the European Union. Why? Because they hold the keys to the kingdom. And it's like, dude, they're done. If everyone says enough is enough, they're done. And unfortunately, the West, aside from us, isn't on board with that. They want to keep terrorists. They want to keep that fear going. Because if you have fear, you have compliance by your citizens. You know, so many of them are talking about the division we have and how Islamophobic we are and how racist we are and how torn we are. Well, man, you know what? In Greece, there weren't, you know, five million refugees coming in and imposing themselves. But now that there are, look at the dichotomy. Look at the air quote racism that Italy has on the African migrants arriving from Somalia, Liberia, Tunisia. It's not because they're racist. They're like, dude, Italy's no longer Italy. Paris is saying the same thing, but that's not racist. We are the ones that are saying, listen, man, you're here. It's cool, but don't like try to change stuff. You know, go to Paris. Doesn't look the same. This is what they want. They want to fuel fear. They want to create division because if they break you down and if they control you by fear, you just submit. Now, the Arab nations are tired of it, of being demonized, of their religion being demonized. They're tired of it. They're completely tired of it. And this is why they are going full speed ahead to eradicate it. And the only front left is the one that has a historical report card of advocating for jihadi actions for jihad, advocating for, you know, um, more Sunni type Muslims to be a good Muslim, right? Advocating for death to the West and that their ways are better. Advocating that they deserve to conquer the world and take their borders back that they had thousands of years ago with bloodshed. They want to redraw the borders. They want to take Mecca back again because they used to have it. They want to take back this land and that land in Syria and Libya and eradicate Israel. So this is the problem. So how do you take out an enemy? That is so, that is an integral component to the West's economy. How do you do it? Because, you know, I'll tell you what, if Russia wanted to help Turkey, boom, they would have done it in a heartbeat. Because they got Russia behind them. I mean, we have Turkey claiming that, hey, we're going to get into the Shanghai Corporation, kind of flirting with it and whatnot. Uh, I want you to listen to this clip from TRT where they're pushing the idea to, to Turkey. L- listen to this. Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan hosted two regional summits that brought together many countries at odds with the West. During normal times, the meetings themselves would have passed mostly unnoticed. But Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, made sure to use the platform to warn of what he called America's aggressive behavior. The meetings came as tensions were sharply rising between Tehran and Washington. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan also attended one of the meetings where his photo ops with the presidents of Russia and China were surely timed to send a message. James Kim has the details. Tensions in one of the world's busiest and most strategic waterways rise to heights not seen in years. 
as Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, addresses leaders from China, Russia, and across the Eurasian landmass. The U.S. government over the last two years, violating all the international structures and rules, and using its economic, financial, and military resources, has taken an aggressive approach and presents a serious risk to stability in the region and the world. Attending the annual leaders' meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in the Kyrgyz capital, Bishkek, Rouhani directly called out the U.S. as Washington's two biggest rivals looked on. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop it right there just to clarify something. I've explained many, many times that the, ins- the, the installation of the Khamenei was done under the guise that the people chose him. But the IRGC and the representative, like the president or prime minister, as you would say, Rouhani, is not. It is done by the central agency. Now, if any of you can actually watch the Shanghai Corporation meeting online on YouTube, you will see just how uncomfortable President Xi and President uh, Putin are when uh, Rouhani is speaking because they already know who controls him. They already know who he sides with. And the fact that Turkey, prior to, well, no, right after uh, the G20 summit, decides, no, right before the G20 summit, decides to attend a Shanghai Corporation meeting, uh, claiming that they're going to cut their ties with the West. It speaks volumes because you know how France is flippy floppy trying to play double agent. Macron is so, ugh. Well, The same thing goes with Turkey. They don't know where they belong. I've explained this before. It's the kid that nobody wants to play with. Do they go east? Do they go west? Do they go south? The south isn't going to take them, the Arabs. The west is like, yo, you're like freaky. The east is like, man, you got problems. Nobody likes you. And I don't know if I want to be associated with you. But geographically, boom, uh, you know, uh, I kind of need you. Russia has claim to territory of what is now modern day Turkey. So does Europe. So so does, you know, the Middle East. The bottom line is war has broken out and the media is not talking about it. There have been there there are defined lines of who is with uh, and against what is going on. Turkey is constantly becoming aggressive and there is no response except for the Eastern Mediterranean Act. And now we have the Democrats supporting the Turkish movement against Libya Um, and obviously trying to find ways to sanction Saudi Arabia again because the Khashoggi thingy didn't work so now they're taking another angle arms and arms embargo so that's that's where we're at war is brewing and no one is telling you about it and that should concern everybody and their mother so on that note tomorrow is the fourth of july and i will have a show and i will be with you live on air and hopefully everything goes great. Stay tuned on torysays.com where I publish the identities of all these officers that were captured by Libya and break it down. From all of us here at Red State, I want to wish you a great evening and God bless. Have a wonderful day.